Different isn't necessarily better, but better is always different. Hi guys, that was Steve Scott you just heard. He shares great tidbits like that and fantastic stories about his varied experiences spanning nearly 40 years. Steve Scott is the owner of The Houston Business Coach. You can find out more at thehoustonbusinesscoach.com. He is the author of the book, Wings to Fly, Your Daily Liftoff to Soar to Greater Heights. He is an entrepreneur that has owned businesses in the services sector, the financial services sector. He has worked in multinational importing and exporting. And it's during that time that he shares an experience where he basically was staring down the barrel of a submachine gun in South America while trying to negotiate a deal with exiled Nazis. Believe me, you won't want to miss that story he shares early in the podcast. Steve is a great storyteller. He pretty much answers our questions through the use of storytelling, which is a great gift he possesses. Steve is a graduate of Kenyon College in Ohio with a bachelor degree in political science and holds an MBA from the University of Denver. Tons of useful insights you can apply in your own life and business, uh, great words of inspiration and everything in between. So let's get right to it. Please enjoy our conversation with Steve Scott. the Everson Cooper podcast. We are entrepreneurs that are interested in what makes people successful. In this podcast, we sit down with a wide range of people with diverse perspectives and backgrounds. We dive into the obstacles that they've had to overcome, their successes, unique experiences, and everything in between. Our goal is to continuously learn from those around us and share their knowledge so that we can all find something that makes us better and makes those around us better. We hope you enjoy. Steve Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy, and thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for being here. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, we it's have gotten to know you uh, over the last several months. You are a super fascinating guy. You have a lot to offer. Every time that we have spent time with you, we come away from our experience saying, man, we want to talk with them more. We want to spend <laughs> more time with them. And so we hope that our listeners will feel the same way. I'm, sh- I'm sure they will feel the same way. Um, a lot to talk about, a lot to get into. And we may end up having volume two, volume three, <laughs> you know, Steve Scott 5.0 on our, on our podcast. So who knows, you know, where this is, where this is all going to go. One place I want to start. And until we started talking about recording this podcast, this is, you know, something that we never had, you know, talked about or anything on the, uh, like this and certainly not on your LinkedIn profile or anything like that. Uh, you have uh, some an experience um, in South America. And uh, you said, quote unquote, you had an experience with a submachine gun and you got roughed up by some Nazis or former Nazis. I've I've got to know. What is is this about? I've got to know this story. Back in 1975, I went into business uh, with two other fellows to import balsa wood into the United States. There was a worldwide shortage of balsa wood at the time. Balsa wood was used to line cryogenic tankers. The annual production was 20 million board feet. The annual demand was 40 million board feet. So if you could find a good source of balsa wood, this was kind of like hitting the lottery. But the companies that were really hurting were the model airplane kit companies. And you also had to get a particular grain of balsa wood, one that was sturdy. There are different grains in order to make model airplane kits. So 
I ended up traveling around the country, sleeping in my car, and I signed up these model airplane kit companies from Iowa to Detroit to Boston to Atlanta and came back to uh, Houston. And then the next step was to get balsa wood out of the jungles of Ecuador and Peru. And uh, at the time, all those countries wanted American dollars. So we started making some contacts. And of course, remember, this is time there's no internet. Everything's done by mail and by phone. And you did have telex. But uh, to make a long story short, we got set up with a group in Guayaquil, Ecuador, the Nachman family. And uh, they also had an office in Miami where they uh, sold balsa wood. So we had an appointment there, myself and one of my partners. The reason I was sent, it turned out, I spoke Spanish very well. So uh, we also had a meeting with Papacito in Guayaquil, which is little godfather. He, uh, he had a manufacturing operation up in the uh, mountains of uh, Ecuador for balsa wood. And what they would do is they would cut down trees, the trees would float down the river, and then he had what he called a sawmill. Well, it was really just a big bandsaw, and they would take the logs out of the river, have them dry, then they would cut them, okay, and then obviously sell them. Mm. So anyway, uh, part of my trip was actually got to ride in a Jeep, the back of a Jeep, and we're going through the jungles, and they're not really roads, but you have the palm fronds hitting you, mm -hmm. and then you come to a little village, and what's interesting, there's no electricity. Everything's really you know, backward by our standards, and the people come out because there's a car, you mm -hmm. know. And the only sign that I ever saw of civilization, remember when Pepsi-Cola had the bottle cap signs? It said mm -hmm. Pepsi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we saw those. In the oh, my gosh. <laughs> but they were in huts. But anyway, we traveled up there and saw his operation, and uh, anyway, uh, we negotiated with him. I'll get to the Nazis here in a moment. And... Uh, so everything was going well. We were in a room all day long with him and his uh, right-hand man and Crumba and Samuel Ovedo and all every you know the hands going and we're going back and forth. But at the end of the day, we had a deal. And my partner in this, uh, Steve Marinas, Steve was married to a Peruvian. He imported expensive tapestries that you see in mm -hmm. upscale stores from Peru. So anyway, uh, we finish up. But my understanding of Spanish wasn't that great. I found out because I thought we had a deal, but Steve told me that we actually didn't until I did something. And what that was is everything there, the man of the house rules. I had to go have a date with his daughter. Oh, my gosh. And I was not married at the time, so that was, mm -hmm. that was fine. And Steve was married, and she was going to bring one of her girlfriends along. So we ended up going out to a nightclub. <laughs> in Guayaquil, which was very primitive compared to what we're used to here. And uh, we had a good time, came back, uh, and the next day uh, we came and met with Papacito, and he said, uh, you're a good man, we're going to do business with you. Wow. So that's how we closed our first business deal. Yeah. So then we go down to the docks of Guayaquil <laughs> where the Germans were. And these were Germans that had fled mm -hmm. Nazi Germany, mm -hmm. former Nazis, as you know, so many of them migrated to South America after World War II. Mm -hmm. 
So we go into this beautiful wood paneled office there on the docks, myself and Steve. And Mr. Nachman, old white haired man, sits there at his desk, you know, says, uh, and what are you here for? You know, well, we're looking to bring balsa wood out of uh, Ecuador, and we thought you could be a good source, maybe broker it to us. Because Houston was the only place in the country at the time that actually had kilns at Allwood Schrader Lumber Company that could dry the balsa wood. Mm. So this was a great place to okay. be. And uh, so he listened to us, and he had a door behind him. I want your beautiful mahogany walls and everything's upscale. And these two guys, about 6'4", come out, and they're not dressed in business clothes. And essentially, they took my partner, Steve, my name's Steve, and they took a hold of us and basically banged us against the wall and just beat, kind of beat us up. And then Mr. Nachman, as we're lying there on the floor, goes, you will not be doing balsa wood business in Ecuador if you value your life. I'll get the blankety-blank out of here. Oh, my goodness. Interesting way of negotiating. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> dealt with you know, former Nazis and Papacito. Yeah. So I guess we can assume the deal did not go through. The deal did not go through, yeah. obviously, with, with them. Uh, it turned out with Papacito, we had a letter of credit, everything signed, and then just as we're experiencing now, uh, you're supposed to have a dry season and a rainy season. And what happened was the uh, dry season, where it was supposed to dry, became the rainy season, so we weren't able to get the wood mm -hmm. out. But, hey, don't worry. It's now on to Peru. Yeah. Peru, at the time, was ruled by the military dictator Juan Velasco. There was tremendous anti-American sentiment, but we didn't realize that. So this is July, so that's wintertime mm -hmm. down there. So in other words... It's like 45 degrees, rainy, misty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Lima, Peru itself actually is on a desert, but it kind of gets, as I say, misty. So we arrive, you know, it was like at midnight on a flight from Guayaquil. And we get this cab driver, and I'm just estimating he was probably about 5'6 and 300 pounds. <laughs> and so we get in, and my partner Steve, because he has his wife's family there, we were going to stay with them, mm -hmm. uh, he tells them where we need to go. So we get in the cab. So now it's about 1 in the morning. And all of a sudden, the cab stops. And off to our right are these cardboard shanty towns. They're called Pueblo Hovens. And this is where the poorest people live. And he basically ordered us out of the car and told us, essentially, if we were going to mess with them, there was going to be problems for us. So we're a good mile from where we need to be and it's the middle of the night and that was our introduction to Peru but fortunately fortunately Steve knew how to get where we needed mm -hmm. to go but as we were walking through these shanty towns people were still awake we had people come grab us and they wanted us to give them money because when you're 6'2 you, you stand out there and mm -hmm. you're not part of that society they mm -hmm. recognized you know Obviously, we were foreigners, and we had nice suitcases. By the way, this was before suitcases had wheels. Oh, no. Yep. So, <laughs> anyway. So, anyway, we got there, and then uh, we had to uh, 
We had set up an appointment with the Minister of Agriculture and Forest. So in a military dictatorship, this is like a four or five star general. Mm -hmm. This is not somebody who has expertise. But it cost us $500 in bribes. Not everybody, I mean, we paid out little amounts in order to make sure this appointment took place. Because you'd show up and say, well, I have an appointment. Well, to get just through the guard, okay, here's $5. Mm -hmm. And then you go someplace else, and that's 10 And then when you get to the big guy, I forget, we probably paid him 200 or something yeah. like that. And I remember sitting in his office overlooking Lima, you know, and it was just like, I cannot believe I'm here. But anyway, so we talked with him, and they were very excited because anything that they could export to bring American dollars into the country was just, uh, that was good. Mm -hmm. So... We, we had a good meeting, or so we thought. But anyway, part of the thing we wanted to do was obviously do some tourist things when we were in Lima. So Lima has the Cathedral, cathedral de San Francisco. Hmm. It's the only other place in the world besides St. Peter's that has catacombs. Catacombs are ancient burial vaults. So I want you to picture walking along a narrow walkway 10 meters underground with single light bulbs hanging mm -hmm. from the earth above you. And you look down, and on your left and your right are burial vaults. And what they are is they're 10 meters wide and 10 meters deep. And so this family is here and that family is there. We had a priest giving us a tour, and we had other people on the tour with us. So you're looking down, and I want you to picture faces looking up, and all you have are the skulls and the arm bones crossed underneath the chin looking up at you and they're all arranged around the perimeter mm -hmm. of the circle so this family and this is what they did in the history and it was it was it was fascinating but no no safety measures so i mean one of the things i remember i was thinking somebody could just push you mm -hmm. and you, you could be down there and that was that was it <laughs> so we reached a, a little landing area mm -hmm. i want to say there were probably 10 or 12 of us on this tour it was absolutely fascinating. And as we were approaching the little landing area, remember with single lights, you get all these weird shadows. And I thought I saw the outline of a gun in one of the shadows. Well, we turned around when we got to the landing area, and there were two men in military uniform with submachine guns. Okay. And they went and talked to the priest. And the priest got really upset. And then they came over to Steve and myself and each stuck one in our backs and told us in Spanish. Fortunately, they couldn't speak English. Oh we needed to start marching out. Mm -hmm. And as we're marching out, Steve is telling me, he says, we cannot get thrown in Peruvian prison. He says, we might not ever come out. <laughs> and he said, I, uh, I don't know if they're playing with us. I don't know what the deal is. You know, we've paid our money to the Minister in Agriculture for us, you know, but you have no idea. He said things are so anti-American mm -hmm. down here. So uh, anyway, we started marching out, you know, and you're 10 meters below ground. You figure, I figured my life was over mm -hmm. at that point, but you just keep marching. And then we get out, we get in the church. I want you to picture walking through a beautiful Catholic church 
with a submachine gun <laughs> in your back. It's quite the image. And, yeah. and then we get out on the street. So we're out on the street. And fortunately, Steve knew where the prison was mm-hmm. in Lima. And he said to me, he said, I believe they're going to take us through a market area. He said, I don't know if they're playing with us or not, but uh, the thing is, we can't afford to find out. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my God. So we get to this market area. You know, there are all these stalls and all these people. So now the guards are maybe about as far away from me as you are right now, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. which is probably about three or four yards, you know. And Steve said, we just need to pick up the pace because it was very crowded. Because he said, my hope is that they don't want to try to shoot us through all the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we picked up the pace. And then we got to a really crowded area. Fortunately, he knew Lima. He said, we're going to break to the right and run for our lives. And just like what you see in a movie, Mm -hmm. we ran down this alleyway. There was a small wall there. I remember just being desperate and cutting myself on my biceps and everything to get over this concrete wall. But we got over it, and we ran, and we ran, and we ran. And nothing ever happened, but that was our experience in uh, Peru. Holy moly. So you still do business in Peru these days? <laughs> no. No. Uh, one of my clients went there for a destination wedding yeah. early, oh, last year, but no. I haven't, I haven't been back. <laughs> so did you ever get the wood that you needed? No, it never happened. There's a whole other story behind that. But uh, one of the principals in the company, uh, if you remember the movie uh, Mississippi Burning, back in 1964, three civil rights workers were slain in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. Mississippi. And uh, their bodies were buried in a dike. Of course, nobody knew where the bodies Mm -hmm. were at the Mm -hmm. time. One of the principals in the company, there were three of us, okay? He was, at the time, about 50 years old, and I was, what, maybe about 26. Anyway, he uh, he was the one that had the financing, letters of credit, and so on and so forth. And he had actually made a trip uh, earlier to South America, but he was so not into doing any type of negotiation that what happened was when he came back, they decided to send me and this other fellow who wasn't not even part of our company. Cause I said, we can get something done. Mm-hmm. It's just bold words from somebody who's young, who doesn't mm-hmm. know any better, you know? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, but anyhow, what this fellow was really good at were two things. He was a chain smoker. He was a phenomenal chain smoker. And he also was a great drinker of whiskey. And it turned out, I was always intrigued as to how come he had a lot of money. He had one of the first five houses in what is today Sugar Creek. I remember going down there when there were only five homes in Sugar Creek, okay? And and he had a beautiful wife that was like 20 years younger than him. And, you know, as a young guy, you're trying to figure out how, how all this happened. Well, it turned out, He had been a stringer, which is a reporter on contract, and he went to Philadelphia, Mississippi, when the story broke that the three civil rights workers were missing. Mm -hmm. And he was doing what he did best. He was drinking and chain-smoking 
in a small bar in Philadelphia, Mississippi, he overheard some people talking about where the bodies were buried. He was contracted with CBS. He called them with the story. And it was such a big thing nationally, they rewarded him with the anchor post in Shreveport on the CBS affiliate. So now he's in Shreveport. He's a celebrity. So he meets this young lady who's the daughter of the most powerful man in Shreveport. He marries her, but didn't get along with the father-in-law. So the father-in-law basically had set them up down in Sugar Creek. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, but anyway, ultimately, uh, he was not able to come through with some of the financing that yeah. was needed. Yeah. Hmm. I, I was expecting you to say that you, you know, weren't going to, you didn't get the wood because your life was threatened a couple times trying to get <laughs> yeah. it. But I guess that doesn't stop you, huh? I well, like it. Yeah, my value system has changed as I've gotten older. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That is, uh, that might be one of the best stories that we've ever heard on this podcast. And that is not a jab at any of our, any of our other guests, but that's a, that is an Everson Cooper podcast first. For sure. We have not had a, um, live, um, brush with, uh, submachine guns and, uh, former Nazis, uh, exiled <laughs> Nazis in South America. So, so tally that up, uh, Steve Scott, that's the first. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Do I want, I do want to fast forward a little bit and talk about, uh, for lack of a segue there, uh, talk about um, what you're currently doing and talk about, you know, present day uh, with the Houston business coach. Uh, you've been doing that for a little bit more than a decade now. <clears throat> and of course, we'll, we'll kind of fill in some of the gaps along the way because you have a ton of experience that uh, we do want our listeners to know because you draw you obviously you draw from that and that is what you know you bring in your mm-hmm. you know your briefcase per se. But talk about what you do at the Houston Business Coach, um, how you help different businesses, different businesses that you that you work with that you target, um, you know that type of stuff. Kind of give you know just a brief you know overview or whatever. Well, interestingly, contrary to the story you just heard, which is about danger, all good business coaching is about safety. Mm. It's all about safety. It's about the safety of your clients. And safety doesn't mean there's something life-threatening. But the thing is, if you don't create a safe atmosphere, then there can't be trust. And if you don't have trust, uh, it's very hard to move forward. You can make some short leaps here and there, but uh, ultimately it's about safety and then there's one other aspect. It was back in 2005 or six when I decided to do this full-time, which, by the way, I've been doing this. I didn't know this off and on since 1981. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I'm on the Dick Alford Radio Hour on 610 Radio, which used to be Business Radio 610, which is now Sports Radio mm-hmm. 610. And uh, Dick had a show each week, and he would have two guests for a half hour each, and I was on the first half hour. And... Uh, as you know, on a radio show, you sit there and the microphones are very close and you have a sneeze or a cough button. But essentially, when you're being interviewed, you're not in control. Right, right. So anyway, he asks me some softball questions about the Houston business coach, on and so forth. And then at about 12 or 13 minutes, we go on a commercial break. So he comes up to me and he goes, Steve, he said, this has gone really well. And he said, I don't want you to take this personally. Well, when somebody says that, you're going to take it personally. He said, 
but what I always like to do is I like to warm up with softball things. Then I like to ask you some questions, all my guests, that are going to make you squirm because it makes it better for the audience. Mm-hmm. So have you ever had those moments where you feel the sweat breaking out <laughs> on your brow? Yep. And it's like, I'm going, oh, my God, what have I gotten into? <laughs> so we come back on, and he says, I'd like to welcome back Steve Scott, the Houston business coach. And Steve, in two sentences or less, two sentences or less, two sentences or less, what makes for successful business coaching? And the sweat that had started the form was coming down and I want you to picture somebody placing their chin on their hands and just grinning at you like gotcha and I'm sitting there when you're at a loss for words you look up you look to the side and I'm looking and all I see I look back and he's grinning at me and then I said unconditional love and he went back in his chair And I didn't realize this at the time, but he started looking up into the side. He didn't know what to say. (laughs) And I said, what that means is nobody needs to be helped. Nobody needs to be fixed. But everyone can use unconditional support. And it turned out that was a a great moment Mm. for me in defining what I do and how I do it. And when you're doing support, you're looking at the safety of everything that's going on. It's not something that really gets people excited, but the thing is, you will be your most creative when you feel you're in a safe place. Mm -hmm. So they've done experiments on creativity. And I want you to picture four attorneys, four CPAs, four engineers, four kindergartners. And here was the assignment. No, this is an actual experiment. You had sticks of spaghetti. You had marshmallow, string, and I want to say rubber band. And your assignment was, who could build the tallest structure using those things? And the marshmallow had to be on top. And you know what happened every time? The kindergartners won. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On average, they were 26 to 28 inches. The other groups were somewhere around 16 to 18 inches. And what they were determining was, in terms of creating a culture, which is what you do, not just in a company, but in individual relationships, is the kindergartners felt very safe. Mm -hmm. Nobody was interested in status. Nobody was interested Mm -hmm. in offending anybody. They'd try something that didn't work. Somebody would grab something. They would get after it. Mm -hmm. But the kindergartners are the ones who did the best. So... That's my uh, coaching philosophy in a nutshell. Not for kindergartners, but... uh, (laughs) I love it. Unconditional love and safety. I love it. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So you, if people go to thehoustonbusinesscoach.com, they'll see... uh, I I feel like it's a very all-encompassing website Mm -hmm. in that you have a podcast, you have a blog, uh, and and that's all supplemental to what you offer as a coach. And so I'm, I'm curious about your process for how you create content, meaningful content for your blog, how you create meaningful content for uh, your podcast, and how you kind of work all that into what you do on a, on a, on a daily basis 
uh, when you're working with different businesses? Because every, every, every business is going to be a little bit different. The challenges are going to be a little bit different. The personalities that you work with are going to be a little bit different. So kind of talk a little bit about how you kind of work all those different and, and also the creative process too, the creative side of it. Because when you're coming up with meaningful content, you can't just you know, read it out of a book and then put it up there and then call it your own. So talk a little bit about your process. That's a a great question. It's going to take people under the hood, which makes things very interesting. Uh, Number one, I believe if you're going to be creative, seldom will whatever you want in life, not just with creativity. And I think you two really exemplify this. Seldom will whatever you want exceed your personal development. Mm -hmm. So if I'm not developing on the business side and the personal side, then I'm not practicing what I preach. Mm-hmm. And I see people so often get frustrated. And by the way, anybody who's had children, which mine are now 35 and 37, and when they were teenagers, there were all sorts of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, you'd say, here's what I want you to do. And they would do something entirely different. Mm-hmm. And I learned if you aren't modeling what you teach, mm-hmm. then you're teaching something else so as far as the creative process goes uh, most of my book a lot of it is autobiographical so if you read about a challenge in there or something that uh, you know seems to resonate with you it probably resonated Mm -hmm. with me Uh, matter of fact one of the segments in there uh, in terms of creativity had to do with uh, my dog at the time and it was like I gave gave her a dog biscuit and she liked the dog biscuit and I thought well she has a great attitude because she knows what's coming I said let me these were little dog biscuits right well she's an an Akita she's a big dog so I said let me buy some big dog biscuits so I buy some big dog biscuits and she has the same attitude about the big dog biscuits as the little ones. So I bought some medium ones, and it didn't change. And I said, you know, one of the keys in life is to have a dog biscuit attitude. That's one of the things in the book. I love it. Because it's not the size of the dog biscuit that thrilled the dog. And by the way, I have a German Shepherd now, and it's the same thing. It's not the size of the dog biscuit. It's the opportunity that the biscuit presents. Mm-hmm. So creativity comes from what I read, what I experience, uh, the stories of other people. And having a much better understanding of who I am and what my purpose is. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, something that some people discover when they're in their teens. And then there are other people like me. It took me until I was in my 50s to figure it out. So when you're working with the clients, and I, I, I always, I like to get you know, the, our, our nails dirty, roll up our sleeves, and, and get um, some specific examples. Mm-hmm. What are some, um, of course, you know, you, you give them anonymous and you know, change your names and all that, you don't have to you know, share that stuff, but... Some some one of the some of the experiences that have been the most 
challenging and, and potentially the most rewarding. And mm-hmm. then some that were like, man, that really gave me a run for my money. That that challenged me to my core. I had to really roll up my sleeves and get to work on that one. You know, talk about a couple uh, best ofs or some some highlights. First of all, it's always a privilege when an organization or somebody invites me yeah. into their lives. And uh, this is about 10 years ago. Um, by the way, when I do coaching, the way I look at it is we co-create pathways to accelerate the process of either the person or the organization's successful performance. So I'm there as a facilitator. So I'm collaborating with a very successful home builder on Lake Conroe. We were together for about five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, this started at the downturn in 2009. And sometimes people come into my life during an economic downturn uh, here the last couple of years. Any successful person will get stuck, will get overwhelmed. And the reason is you have such great capability but you haven't maybe developed the capacity. Mm-hmm. And very often the capacity gets better when you learn how to let go of things mm-hmm. so you can bring on other things. Because, in other words, I had one situation. This is a corporate situation in their international company. And I was working with their directors. This is about five years ago. It's August. This is out in the industrial park here in Conroe. And... The vice president had brought me in to work, work with them to be a team. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we were making progress, but it was like, I go, I need to do something to just really shock them. And I find out when I shock people, it sometimes shocks me too. So anyway, <laughs> I built trust. We'd been together for six months. So it's like 95 degrees out. They had pine trees, you know, so they don't, uh, it was hard to find a broadleaf tree, but I found one, okay? I said, I said because uh, I scouted it out before I went in for the meeting, I said, fellas, we're going to go outside today. And these are guys who travel the world, they're responsible for tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. We're going to go outside, <laughs> that's right. So I want you to picture six guys, and they said, well, what are we going to do? I said, you'll just wait and see. So I come to this maple tree, or uh, no, oak tree it was, excuse me. And uh, I go, tree! Yes. How tall will you grow? As tall as I possibly can. How do you do that, tree? Every year I let go of my leaves. We went back in. And like they say, the rest is history. Uh, and all of us have resistance to change. Matter of fact, in order to remain relevant, you're either on a race to relevancy mm-hmm. or irrelevancy. Sure. So as you get older, you very often can race toward irrelevancy because you're not embracing technology, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, but you're just going to miss out yeah. on more things. So anyway, they would say, well, I don't know if I can do this or do that. And then I went back to the analogy of the tree. 
And I said, well, fellas, you're not a tree. You can move. Hmm. And uh, some of them still remember that today. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Another one was here in the woodlands. Uh, had a fellow that uh, owned a small pharmaceutical company. And everything was about the bottom line. So very often what happens in personal business coaching, I have business background, but I'm not a specific consultant mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, my son is a hospitality consultant, so he works with large companies. He's over in Austin, also large restaurant chains. But he can come in, do an operations manual, get your people's situation right, menus, and he can do specific things. Mm -hmm. But I work more with the individuals or the team. But anyway... He would always tell me, everything's about the bottom line. There's no emotion attached to it. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think about that, that's a very emotional statement hmm. when somebody says there's no emotion attached to it. And so I want you to picture in 2007, this guy still had dot matrix printers. He was still keeping things alive that were technology in mm -hmm. the nights, but everything's about the bottom line if I don't need them. And his goal ultimately was to sell his business and move to California. Mm -hmm. As I say that today, I don't think that was probably a good idea, but back then, <laughs> that was his goal. So anyway, and it was just frustrating. We'd talk about various things in the business and people and processes. Because, you know, one of the things in business, everybody talks about outcome, but business and life are not about outcome. It's all about process, because mm -hmm. process determines outcome. Mm -hmm. So anyway... We were in there, and we used to meet at 10 o'clock every other Tuesday. So I'm there with him, and you have to have built trust to do what I did this day. You just can't do it and without that. So I could tell his employees, I'd gotten to know his employees, and they were frustrated because things needed to be done faster because technology was faster. Oh, also had dial-up internet. I forgot about Holy that. Holy moly. <laughs> All right. That's pretty bad. Uh, yeah. All right. And back then, uh, it was considered not good, but uh, you definitely could be doing better, let's put it that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, oh, copy machines refurbished from 1985. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, but everything's about the bottom line. Right. And there's no emotion attached to it. So he'd sit there and pretty much say, there's no emotion attached to it. This is just the way it is. I do everything. It's about the bottom line. It's all about the money. So this particular day, that morning, I put a $100 bill in my pocket, a 50 a 20 a 10 and a 5 And back in 2007, you could buy a good lunch in the Woodlands for 5 bucks. okay? <laughs> and uh, so we got finishing up our meeting around 11.15, 11.30, and I'll just make up his name, and I said uh, Bob, I said, I can't believe what happened. I left the house today. I didn't bring my credit cards, my driver's license, or any money. Can I borrow some money for lunch? He says, well, sure, Steve. He says, uh, what do you need? I said, I need $5. Well, he said, I'm sorry, all I have is hundreds, but I trust you with it. So he hands me the $100 bill. I lean across his desk. I take the $100 bill and whoosh, tear it in half. He goes, you can't do that. That's just I said, you're right. There's no emotion attached to it. <laughs> From that point forward, we got everything upgraded, so on and so forth, oh, and, he, and he sold his company. Wow. 
And then what I did is, of course, I pulled my $100 bill out of the pocket. That was a $100 lunch and gave it to him because the bottom line was I had to make him whole still. But it cost me 100 bucks. Oh, my gosh. That's great. (laughs) But anyway, getting back to the builder, multi-million dollar homes. Going, so what's, what's the challenge or the problem? And I go through an interview process, by the way, of two to four hours because, you know, I'm looking for something where there can be some long-term value. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately, almost everybody I engage with, I'm with them for a period of time. So I said, what's the biggest challenge you have right now in your business? And, I mean, he had various things going on, different types of houses and, oh, I mean, beautiful homes. And he says, I don't know where to start. And I said, well, do you have something at home that's a challenge? He goes, yes, my toothbrush. I remember this this is a guy that everybody knows is successful, but I'm being told my biggest challenge is my toothbrush. So I said, what's the challenge with your toothbrush? He said, well, he said, let me describe to you the layout of the bathroom my wife and I have. So anyway, okay, there are two sinks. There's your sink, her sink. And he said, what my challenge is, is I have a drawer. I have drawers on my side. She has drawers on hers. We have a, you know, a cabinet in the middle where we put cleaning supplies and stuff. So I'm getting this whole detailed description. This is our first business coaching session mm-hmm. of what's going on with this toothbrush thing. He said, but I have it in the drawer. And I said, you have it maybe in a little plastic basket along with some other things, and you kind of have to fumble through it to get to it and everything else? He says, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what goes on. I said, so, he says, I know the question you're going to ask. How come it's not sitting on the counter in a toothbrush holder? I said, well, first let me ask, is it a, it's not an electric toothbrush, obviously. He said, no, 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 not an electric toothbrush, just regular toothbrush. He said, well, as you know, my wife is an awarded interior designer, and she thinks it looks terrible having my toothbrush in a holder on the counter. We have other decorations there. So I said, so what do you want to do about that? He says, well, I don't know. I said, do you really want to talk about this? He said, yes, yes. Here's the point. Let's, for, we'll get back to the conversation. What happens is life is going to throw us some pretty big challenges in business too. But if we haven't mastered the small ones, we don't stand a chance with the bigger ones. Mm-hmm. So very often what I find in coaching is if I can find something small where somebody can have a success, it builds their confidence, their self-esteem, and then they can take on something bigger. Mm-hmm. So now back to the story. So I said, uh, from what I understand, you're very creative with your hands. You know, you can put things together, so on and so forth. I said, uh, what, is, what is the depth of the uh, drawer that uh, your toothbrush sits in? He says, I don't know. I said, would it be possible for your toothbrush to stand up in that drawer? He said, you know, I never really thought about it. Now, you're sitting here listening to this, and you're going, yeah, life is the study of the obvious, but all of us have flunked obvious one and obvious two, you know, (laughs) at times. So, anyway, he said, yeah, I think it can. So his first assignment was to go measure his drawer to see if his toothbrush could be in there. 
And then if he was motivated to build a toothbrush holder inside the drawer. <laughs> so anyway, I come back two weeks later, and it's like the whole atmosphere has changed. I mean, he's smiling, he's strutting his stuff. And I said, what happened? He said, it's unbelievable. I said, he said, you, I'm so glad I talked to you. I built the toothbrush holder in the drawer, and it's perfect. My wife loves it. And she has decided that I need to really continue with this business coaching because it is absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's oh, like, okay. So uh, he said, not only that, the reason she really likes it, you told me that if you start with something small, it can lead to something bigger. He said, they live in Walden. He said, we've parked our cars outside on the driveway for the last 25 years. I actually have cleaned out one section of the garage. And wow. now we can get one car in. Yeah. So his assignment two weeks later was to clean out the other section. So now they get both cars in the garage. Then we built some momentum. We built some connection. Then we go into employees, systems, mm -hmm. uh, purchasing. Purchasing's a big deal when you're a builder and timeliness and things like that. So... But that's where that one started, all with a toothbrush. Wow. <laughs> Who knew? If you start your day frustrated, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And it's an everyday thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can't, it kind of sends you on a different path than you should go on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about, I mean, and, and that's just a microcosm of it, but, <clears throat> you know, someone's morning routine. And this is something that we talk about, and, you know, one of the questions that uh, we may have an opportunity to get to is you talk about a, a morning routine. And I'm, me personally, I'm a very big, I, I have a very structured morning routine because who knows how the day is going to go, the different challenges are going to come your way, you might run into unexpected traffic, yada, yada, yada. But if you can start off the day controlling the things that you can control in, in your own time, it gives you that momentum. It gives you that, um, that feeling that you're empowered. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, both of us have a very set morning routine. We I was going to ask it. Elizabeth because yeah. I just saw her kind of looking at you yeah. like, hmm, mm -hmm. and you have one too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're, yeah. And, and this is, we've actually, we've, uh, you know, improved it and tweaked it, at, you know, uh, as, we, as we've gone on and, and gotten better. And it's been more enriching for our, for our lives. And that's why we're always curious about, you know, people's morning routines as well because we're always wanting to, you know, find ways for improvement. But that's, that is, it's a microcosm of, Okay, this empowers him. He's this is something he does every single day, and it's a mm -hmm. frustration that you don't want to start off the day mm -hmm. frustrated, you know, every single day. Because mm -hmm. then, you know, who else, you know, what else is going to come your way that's going to continue to frustrate you, and you just feel mm -hmm. like you're, you know, in a downward spiral the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. No, and you're right about how you start. Very mm -hmm. often will determine how you finish. But the key thing is, it's not very often how you start. It's just the fact that you have to start. Because mm -hmm. here's what's interesting. When you want to improve something, the start is what stops most people, mm -hmm. if you think about it. Mm -hmm. But as I say, it's not about how you start. You need to get started. So it was the 1936 Olympics, and Hitler wanted to prove the superiority of the Aryan race. Mm -hmm. And the German 4x4-100-meter women's relay team was favored to win the gold medal. The U.S., was good enough to get in the finals, okay? And they were supposed to be maybe third or mm -hmm. something like that. This also was the first Olympics where Jesse Owens, the mm -hmm. first black man, competed, which Hitler didn't like that either. 
So anyway, the finals come. The race starts off in a four by four, you know, race like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very fast, and they pass the baton. Mm -hmm. At the first baton pass, the German women were up by about a yard, a meter, I guess, if you're over in Europe, right? Second baton pass, just a little bit more. Third baton pass, they dropped the baton. The U.S. won the gold medal. Mm -hmm. U.S. women's team won the gold medal. So it's not about how you start. you got to start. Mm -hmm. But it is about how you finish. Yep. But again, if you don't start and have a good routine, it obviously does not enhance the likelihood of a good finish. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So I do want to talk about <clears throat> a little bit of like a, a process or a routine that I'm curious about. You are a published author. Mm -hmm. uh, I do want to mention that. Uh, your book, Wings to Fly, your daily liftoff to soar to greater heights. Um, talk a little bit about your book. Before we get into that, before we get into the you know, your target audience and, and all that, talk about the process of putting all these you know down into into um, onto paper, putting pen to paper, putting it all together, um, and, and kind of what you, how you carved out the time, how long that process took. Um, you know, a little bit about that. Well, there are two answers. We'll start with the last one, the last question, how long it took. It took two months, and it took 20 years. <laughs> and essentially, I've been writing since the 90s, so I had things yeah. on various topics that I've written. So when I put it together, it took about two months. Mm -hmm. I started... July 31st of 2015 and finished, uh, what, October 2nd. Yeah. So, uh, but the uh, process is just, for me, I like reading, I like talking to people, I get, matter of fact, there's very little that is original in this world anymore. It's all how it's packaged. Mm -hmm. That's what's mm -hmm. original. Mm -hmm. So, for example... Uh, the talk you were kind enough to let me give here uh, last month on uh, how to have your best year yet, you know, positive wishing versus positive thinking. I'm sure there's things on that. Don't be a complainer. Mm -hmm. You know, fears, the enemies from within, yeah. and so on and so forth. But it's about how you deliver it. And uh, in putting together uh, the book, I look for things that to me, and once again, that's, not the best way to do it initially, but I said, what is going to be meaningful and impactful? Because I had almost a thousand things to pick from, so there are like 365 in there. And then what I did is uh, I had some people who were kind enough uh, locally uh, that uh, I had them read various things that I wrote. Uh, this is before I put the whole thing together but all in this two month period because it was like I want to get this over with mm -hmm. because I didn't go anywhere on the weekends uh, at night I would go home and make sure I wrote something did mm -hmm. something and uh, anyway I would get feedback on that and I decided everything needed to be less than a page if I'm right there's only one date mm -hmm. where it's more than one page mm -hmm. and that is Valentine's Day mm -hmm. okay so uh, my whole thing is it's about your audience. You don't know who your audience is at times. You discover who your audience is based on 
uh, when I'm speaking. If they're texting a lot, obviously, maybe they're my audience, but I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> maybe they're not my audience. <laughs> but uh, I'll be giving a talk, matter of fact, uh, next Wednesday. And I know it's an older group, so I have to slow down a little bit because if I move too fast, it's, uh, it's not that they can't process it. But when you have more wisdom when you're older, you like time to think about things. Sure. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? So it's not that they aren't sharper. It's just that they need more time. Right. Okay, this is how all this fits together. Right. Where somebody your age, you might have three components to reference to. They might sure. have 30. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So I, uh, yeah. so I, as you know, I, I look, number one, I go by what I call the three E's in speaking, and I try to do that to some extent in writing. The three E's are... First thing is to entertain. So at least have a title to the piece I'm writing that is interesting. Mm-hmm. And if you think that's interesting, then maybe you'll get engaged. And if you get engaged, then maybe you'll be educated. Mm-hmm. And I find that's what works for me. You know, If I'm not entertained or piqued by my curiosity mm-hmm. and piqued by the title or whatever... Chances are I'm not going to read it. Right. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something that could do me a world of good. Right. <laughs> so. What what kind of feedback have you gotten uh, from the book? It's It's been out for a little while now, and mm-hmm. so you've had an opportunity for people to read it and give give their feedback. Steve, this has done you know, great things for me, such and such. Share a little bit about some of the feedback that you've gotten. It's really been, to me, remarkable. Um it's a uh, matter of fact, uh, you probably know the story of what happened with Costco. Uh, uh, Brett Roloff uh, got a book, and his general manager at the time, which he didn't know, Brett had it on his desk, and it was gone. And Brett didn't know where it was, and went into his office about three weeks later, and it was in his office. <laughs> and his GM goes, he said, this is, this is really good. Where did you get this? And he told him, he said, well, I think we need to order uh, like 20, 25 of them mm-hmm. for the managers. Each Costco store has, I think, 20, 25 managers. So did that. And then uh, they used it sometimes in their meetings. Then the regional vice president saw it, and she liked it. And so she ordered about 20 for the people she mm-hmm. works yeah. with. And then somebody in Kirkland, Washington, saw it, and they liked it. So, like, another 20 order. I don't know what happened there, but ultimately the regional vice president hired me to uh, work with Costco out in El Paso. Wow. But all based on the book. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was very uh, very interesting and gratifying. So, uh, But I'll get texts sometimes from people, mm-hmm. and they'll say, wow, mm-hmm. this is just really great, or we use this in our business meeting today. And that's that's what it's really about. You know, it's exactly what you and Elizabeth do. It's uh, how are you benefiting other people? Mm-hmm. You know, are you somehow maybe adding some quality to their lives? Um, I, I love it when that happens mm-hmm. to me, and my wish is that I get to have that opportunity to do it for others. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, we we've had an opportunity to. We have a, a copy here, uh, obviously. Um, we've had an opportunity to, to, to look through it and, and read it. And, and so it's, it's, um, I guess 
You're the author, so describe it uh, to our listeners who may not have an idea of, uh, of, of what it is. I, I haven't done the justice at this point setting it up. I didn't do a good job. So let's rewind a little bit and, and give just a brief overview of what exactly um, is the premise of the book, and you know, when someone picks it up, what, what should they expect? The premise of the book, really, it's all about your personal development. So if you happen to read something that particular day that will improve your life or give you a different perspective that may lead you on a pathway to improve mm-hmm. your life, then that's been, that's been wonderful. And the thing is, business is life, and life is business. And too often the two get separated, but mm-hmm. just like the story I shared with you about the toothbrush, everything goes together. Mm-hmm. So if you read something where you have a breakthrough on the business side because of it, which I have companies that do, that's wonderful. But very often, I will have the person who's conducting the meeting saying, you know, I read that today, and my husband and I are going to be applying this or, you know, yeah. whatever. So that's really, uh, everything's about accelerating the process of your successful performance. Mm-hmm. And the key word is your. I think uh, too often, and I did the best I could to make sure that the tone of the book is not about preaching. Mm-hmm. It's not about giving advice. It's just sharing a thought, and mm-hmm. you can either take it or reject it. Sure. It doesn't matter. But there are lots of thoughts I reject, but they get me to thinking, mm-hmm. and ultimately mm-hmm. I come up with everything else. So really, when you read something for the first time, when you hear something for the first time, when you see something for the first time, and you start getting creative, think of this. Every act of creation, and Pablo Picasso, the artist, said this, is first an act of destruction. <laughs> you have to destroy something first in order to create. So if Picasso had weird paintings, but if you were to look at the normal image of a man, he would do something, and you knew it was a man, but it wasn't the man you were used to mm-hmm. seeing. So every act of creation is first an act of destruction. That's right. So staying on books, mm-hmm. one of our one of our frequently asked questions, and, and you look behind us, we we do like to read. Uh, I mean, it's that I cannot say I've always been uh, interested in reading when I was growing up, and I was I was not a very good student. Uh, I, I actually hated school, uh, and then ironically, I became a school teacher for a couple <laughs> of years. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, I digress. Um, <clears throat> What are some of the books that you have uh, either currently or, you know, in the past that, that you have read that have had some of the greatest impact in your life that, that, that stay with you today that, um, you know, you, you try to either live out what they're, some of the principles or you apply them in your life and in your, in your coaching. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the books that are the most impactful for you. That is a great question. Great question because I'm at a point where, um, in my opinion, I've read a lot of books and I, I'm searching. Uh, the first one that probably comes to mind is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective mm-hmm. People. Uh, the uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Jim Rohn, uh, Zig Ziglar. Uh, so I've read books by them. Uh, John Maxwell, mm-hmm. definitely. Excellent leadership. Uh, I'm just trying to think of some specific ones. 
I think one that has been very impactful, and with certain clients, it uh, has been very impactful because sometimes assignments or reading assignments mm-hmm. is the secret of letting go by Guy Finley. And that really ties into what I was saying earlier about the tree. The way a tree grows every year is that it lets go of its leaves. But, you know, we as human beings have been given the dignity of choice. We can either choose to be all or we can choose to be less. Mm -hmm. So only when you choose to let go can you become more than you are Mm -hmm. today. So the secret of letting go has Mm -hmm. been very impactful. I know I'm just uh, missing uh, a number of them. Uh, I mean, they're... I've read, I know they're impactful, but when they all kind of blur together, uh, whether it be the one-minute manager, I used to read a lot of Tom Peters stuff. Uh, I liked uh, uh, Edward, W. Edward Demings, uh, you know, the quality management uh, movement. Mm -hmm. Um, Six Secrets of Powerful Teams has been a very, very, good book it's a quick read but you can get so much out of it and uh, you know I'm not even doing justice to it but uh, one of the key things and I actually learned these from a psychologist uh, when uh, my kids were teenagers in the 90s Um, you know you go from being a cool dad to you know (laughs) not being so cool and a cool mom to you know but anyway uh, we're talking about words that we can use, uh, that we all use, that either can drive people together or drive them mm-hmm. apart. So uh, the first word is why. So I'm going to ask the question two different ways, and I just want you to catch your emotions. Sure. Indian Elizabeth, why is it that you do a podcast? Don't answer. Andy and Elizabeth, I got the order wrong, Elizabeth and Andy, (laughs) what was it that brought you to do a podcast? Mm. Mm. Why puts people on the defensive? Mm. We think we're engaging people, but we're actually Mm. pushing them away. Mm. Now, why is a perfectly good question. For example, Andy, why is it that you have done so well in your career when you're asking about something positive? Mm But where why is really good is when it comes to functionality. When you can take an inanimate object such as this microphone and say, why is it that it's such a good microphone? Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't ask why of people, but you need to be very careful. Do we have time for another story? Yeah, please. Yeah, absolutely. Because this was, so I was doing a coaching session in Panera. This was three or four years ago with um, a lady. And so we're sitting in the booth. This is up in Conroe. And these two other ladies come in, and they sit down in the booth next to us. And you know when you're in a restaurant, if things aren't going well, the loudness of a conversation begins to escalate. Mm-hmm. So the noise level was starting to go up in the booth behind us. And here was the conversation in a nutshell. This, these two ladies knew each other, appeared to be friends, and this one lady had bought a new Buick. Her friend goes, well, why did you buy a Buick? That word, why, right? Mm-hmm. And I said to my client, we've got to stop and listen to this. 
Why did you buy a Buick? And the lady said, well, I just really liked the way it looked. Here's what happens with why. Why very often is asked to put you on the defensive so somebody can come in with some information you didn't even want mm-hmm. or solicit. And the other lady goes, well, didn't you know that J.D. Power rated the, the Honda whatever as a better car? And the lady goes, it, that's fine if that's true, but I really like my Buick. Mm-hmm. And the other lady goes, you know, I've known you for a long time, but why don't you research these things better? And I already knew where this was headed. And the other lady goes, I like my car. You know, and you could tell she was getting irritated. Mm-hmm. So finally, the lady was asking the why questions, wasn't getting anywhere. The lady liked her Buick. And she goes, you know what? That's just like you. You're right 97% of the time, and you're wrong 4%. Slams her hand on the table, gets up and leaves. Oh and I'm going, 97 gosh. and 4. <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> That's good math. Yes, oh, but good. why? <laughs> Next word is try. So, so in business communication, when I'm working with teams, uh, this is important, but just as you and I here are a team, if you had said to me, Steve, we are going to try to have a podcast, here's what you've just said to me. Maybe someday, sometime, never. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Try is a perfectly good word, okay? But it brings uncertainty. It actually can diminish trust. So, for example, Elizabeth, when you were kind enough to set this up, you said, Steve, will you um, be here for this podcast? I'll try to be here today. Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't work. So let's take it to a, something where there's skills involved. Let's say uh, I'm here and uh, I'm your assistant, Elizabeth, and you want me to set this podcast up. You know I know something about this, but not mm-hmm. everything. So here's what you want to say. You ask me, Steve, can you help me set up this podcast? And I go, I will do my best. But Andy, Elizabeth knows that my best probably isn't going to be good enough. <laughs> That's a better answer than mm-hmm. saying try. Just like when you say why, it's better to ask what or how, by the way, and I mm-hmm. forgot to mention that, mm-hmm. all right? And just shut up and listen. All right, so getting back to this, try. I will do my best. Well, maybe I don't have the capability or the capacity, and my best isn't going to be good enough. So you ask me to help set up the podcast, and I say, I will do whatever it takes. And what that means generally is I'm going to call my buddy Andy, who knows how to do this, (laughs) and together we're going to get this set up correctly, Mm -hmm. okay? So once again, we're talking about a level of commitment and, more importantly, urgency. What's interesting, when you continually have problems, and I know you see this in your business world, uh, when people say try, they do want to do something, but you don't know when or mm-hmm. you know how it's going to take place. And so you're not showing a sense of urgency. What's interesting, if you look at communication, you can almost go to one of four areas where there's a breakdown. Number one, was there a sense of urgency? I'll try. Nope. Was there a sense of commitment? That's the second one. I'll try. No. Mm-hmm. Well, then, that leaves two last things. 
communication, you have to pay attention to the details. Try just leaves everything open. You can drive a semi-truck through that, right? And then follow-up. How in the world can you follow up with try? Mm -hmm. You come back to me and say, Steve, have you tried? That's a frustrating question <laughs> to ask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I go, no. And it's like, all right, hit the trap door and you're done. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so anyway, sense of urgency, sense of commitment, pay attention to details, and follow up. You know, so uh, it's, it's so important to go through that sequence all the time, all right? Mm. So uh, you were asking me about, uh, oh, yeah, so the next word. This is one of my favorites. Andy, you really should stop smirking at me. The word should. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right. It's a perfectly good word like all the other ones. And we'll get back to that example I just used because I know he does that with you, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. So anyway, when it comes to things like we should be honest, we should be moral, we should be ethical, that's great. Mm -hmm. But I said, you should stop smirking, which, by the way, for everybody in this audience, he wasn't doing. He's just kindly <laughs> smiling at me. All right. Should, did you notice I didn't tell you the behavior I wanted Mm -hmm. Should is about guilt and obligation. All right? <laughs> so, Elizabeth, you really should be doing this. You should be taking more notes. Mm -hmm. So I look at your notes, and guess what? Well, that's way too many, or that's not enough. <laughs> In other words, I just asked you to walk into an abyss. Mm -hmm. So a better thing to say is, Elizabeth... I would like you to take, for this talk, at least two pages of notes mm -hmm. and be specific. You want to state the behavior that you want to see and set some parameters, but should can be very deadly because it's about guilt and obligation. Mm -hmm. And I was just in a conversation with a client today. Obviously, Christmas and New Year's is just finished, and guess what? He's married, and his parents said to him, you really should spend more time with us at Christmas. And you spend too much time with her parents. Mm -hmm. You know, it just goes back and forth. But should, and that's a tough word. The next word, and this is the toughest one for teams to overcome, is but. All of us know about but. For example, I really like the restaurant we went to last night. But, I've just killed everything, mm -hmm. but the service, but whatever. Here's what you have to do, and it's really hard. It's hard for me. Mm -hmm. I like the restaurant we went to last night, and I wish the service was better. Try to substitute and mm -hmm. for but. Wherever you can. And I say, once again, all these are good words, but try to substitute and for but. And that is the most difficult thing. And where this is absolutely deadly, when you think about teams, you either have co-located teams, which is what we are right now. We're all located together. And you have virtual teams. So I know in your business, email Andy, 
it's absolutely great what you're doing in sales and everything else, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people do not understand how deadly that is in emails. I got to work uh, with the the number five guy in one of the largest charities in the United States. It so happens he's here in Houston. And they had a flattening of their organization two years ago, and we worked for about a year together. By the way, he is the star. This region Mm -hmm. is the star. Mm -hmm. And the new CEO and the new COO were absolutely jealous. This region here produces more revenue for this charity than where they're at Mm -hmm. in New York, the Northeast, and the Middle Atlantic states combined. Wow. And has been doing so for a number of years. Mm -hmm. One of the things was we didn't meet that often, but we talked on the phone. He would send me the emails from this new CEO and COO, and the words that were used in there, there was so much why. Should, try, but, and here was the last one, don't. Hmm. Don't's a funny word. Matter of fact, I was just, I had my uh, four-year-old granddaughter here last week on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, and by the way, this is much easier being here with you than, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we get along great Now, I could use the word but, Mm -hmm. but I'm not. We get along great, and she demands constant attention. Mm -hmm. What if I said, but she demands constant attention? Mm -hmm. So one of the things is, at that age, they have not separated cognition from behavior. Cognition is, here's the thought, behavior. So I was up there in Austin for Christmas. So it's like Eve, that's her name, don't hit Nicholas. Well, Nicholas, you know, is a little over a year old. What happens about a minute later? She slugs him. Mm-hmm. You know? And then you go, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me tell you how difficult don't is. You can't negate a negative. So right now, I'm going to challenge you to do something nobody has been successful at ever doing. Don't think about the pink elephant. <laughs> you have to think about the pink <laughs> elephant, right? It is better to state what you want Mm -hmm. than what you don't want. Mm -hmm. Once again, a perfectly good word, but what you do when you state don't in team building Mm -hmm. is you're much more likely to lead toward a result that you don't want. Mm -hmm. So those are the five words. uh, That's excellent. That gives a lot to... Like, think about and reflect on, and how do you talk to people, like, in any relationship? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're absolutely right. So very often in in business coaching, the easiest place to start sometimes, you're under fire at work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of tension. Hopefully you don't have the same fire going on at home. But you can, if you have kids where you feel like you have some control, which obviously I know now being on the other side, I never did. You know what I mean? (laughs) But you can at least work with them on this. But actually what this psychologist shared with me these words, okay, back in the mid-90s, I ended up reading in that book, The Six Secrets of Powerful Teams. And I will tell you, once I learned how to apply these words, didn't ask why, asked what and how, shut up and listen. I learned more about what my teenagers were doing Mm -hmm. than I probably cared to know. But the thing is, they were shocked. They would sit there and tell me, 
like my daughter one time uh, kind of took a bender to Corpus Christi, of all things. Uh, she was supposedly over at her friend's house in Cyprus. Oh, yeah. And what happened is I, I received a ticket in the mail because she, she had been caught speeding, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, learning how to deal with that was helpful. And just she explained what went on, and I, all I said was, thank you very much, instead of mm-hmm. going on and mm-hmm. on and on. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I, I want to... I want to be mindful of, of your time, and I, so I want to wrap up with, with this question, <clears throat> or this topic. So, a lot of what we do is, how, how are people successful? What are successful people doing? The different types of things that they have done, the different challenges, all that good stuff. So, focusing on success, what is your definition of success everyone's definition is a little bit different mm-hmm. and then if you have some examples of not as, not idols but but role models for you uh that are living out parts of, of that success uh that, that 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 is your definition so talk about your definition of success and maybe some examples so you save the most challenged questions for last sure <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah you are a nice guy right <laughs> i'd like to think yeah. i am yeah. i don't know <laughs> and once again that is absolutely a great question uh Quite simply, I think success is discovering what your purpose is and then living it. And when I was younger, I thought I had to discover it when I was 30. What I've learned is uh, life is a continuing education course, and you, (laughs) you you, you morph into that. But as long as you're seeking your own personal development, that's going to happen. Because once you discover your purpose then you can really live your life with meaning. Mm -hmm. And then the finances, and I know this, I never would have believed this, excuse me, when I was your age, really become secondary. Sure. Because in the end, success is getting what you want, but happiness, which is even more important, is wanting what you get. Mm. And the thing is, you cannot have true success, in my opinion, without happiness. And that doesn't mean I certainly haven't had challenges and been unhappy at times, but one of the worst times I had was when I was the most successful financially. Uh, You know, I have a company that becomes the largest in the state at what it does. I have 80 employees. And what's interesting, you know, you're in your 30s and your friends are looking around and it's kind of like they just want to touch you. You know what I mean? You have a lake house above. You have all that stuff. But was I really living my purpose? And the answer is no. Was I a bad person? No, I was still discovering what it was. Mm -hmm. But yeah, success is getting what you want. Happiness is wanting what you get. And to me, there's no true success without happiness. It's not that there won't be some pain and some hurt. Mm -hmm. But if you're living your life on purpose, then you're living it with meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest challenges for all of us, especially today, there are so many options that weren't around when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can just go on the Internet, and I love it. You can just dream, and all of a sudden, an hour or two later, you go, you know, what happened What happened to the time? But as long as you're embracing your personal development, you'll discover what that, what that is. Yeah. Maybe someday you're going to be a radio interviewer. <laughs> no, seriously. Sure, sure. Yeah. It just, um, role models... 
George H.W. Bush. Mm-hmm. I got to meet him. As uh, some people know, I actually uh, do a little bit of political consulting in this county, which um, has been fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are very few people that you run into uh, in politics or in life even that I would say would be a really good role model Mm -hmm. overall. But there are lots of good people I run into where I can take a piece here and a piece there because I also understand in myself, you know, uh, like I was talking to Julie earlier today, you know, um, we all have motivation. Motivation, essentially, in my opinion, happens from external things. So in other words, one of my motivations here is to hopefully um, leave you with a good interview, okay? Uh, inspiration is something that comes from inside, so it's what I share with you. So mm-hmm. I was sharing with her, I said, you know, what happens is, you know, we all have different motivations at different times in our life, but motivation alone is not enough because we all have our own idiocy, okay, which is just the way we look at things. So if you have an idiot and motivate them, you now have a motivated idiot. <laughs> so if you're hurtling down the wrong path, okay, mm-hmm. you don't need more motivation to turn you around. And I think this is where I've made mistakes. You know, it's like, well, this worked, this worked, this was, and wait a second, it's really not working, but I don't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. What you need is more education to turn you around. Mm-hmm. So as long as you go back to that personal development component, it gets back to what we talked about at the beginning of the program that will help you with your safety, which will allow you to be creative and discover your mm-hmm. purpose. Mm-hmm. I love it. You're amazing. Anything else? No, that's perfect. That's such a good way to yeah. stop. You just totally brought us full circle. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and have a conversation with us. We, we're going to have to have a couple more podcasts. <laughs> so, this is, this is a full podcast. It's a very, very dense, uh, uh, mm-hmm. podcast already um, but we have so much more to talk about so much more of your story that I, I think is incredible to be able to to share um, that you know people can can listen to and, and learn from and you know ap- apply in their own life and their own business and their own you know whatever endeavors that they're going on so again thank you so much for for uh, being on our podcast you're welcome and thank you for trusting me and having me here today Hey guys, thank you for listening. One more thing before you go. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more episodes in our archives at eversoncooper.com slash podcast. You can also find all past episodes on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please don't forget to send us a review and a rating. We are not trying to feed our ego. Just ratings and reviews help us reach more listeners that could benefit from what our guests have shared. And our guests then benefit more uh, from being on the podcast. So rate and review us on iTunes, podcast app, and all those other platforms I mentioned. Speaking of platforms, we would love it if you shared the Everson Cooper podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever social media you use. Lastly, if you want to receive a fresh new Everson Cooper podcast episode every Wednesday, be sure to subscribe and you will get the latest episode sent right to you automatically. Thanks for listening.